I uh, get to continue in our summer series, which is titled Mountain Monologues. We're looking at the Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount as found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Pastor Chris kicked us off Easter weekend, and we have gone a couple of weeks looking at how Jesus not only fulfilled uh, many of the words in the Old Testament from the Old Testament law, but also how in many instances he actually took those words, reinterpreted them, uh, and made them a bit more challenging. Pastor Chris said this a couple of weeks ago, and it's so good, we just keep reiterating it, and it's going to be something that we're doing today. Pastor Chris said this, when it comes to the law, Jesus always expects more, not less. So when Jesus reinterprets the words of the Old Testament, sometimes we think, well, maybe he'll make it easier, and unfortunately, that's very rarely the case. Easier in the sense that it's simple, we're empowered by the the, the Holy Spirit to live these things out, but he does make these words more challenging. We're going to see that again today. What we're also going to see today is a theme that Pastor Alex hit on last week when he discussed anger, uh, and that is that Jesus doesn't always look at our outward actions, whether that be anger or in our situation for today, we're going to be looking at adultery. He doesn't always look at the outward action, he looks at the heart. And Jesus has every right to look at the heart because as the Son of God, he knows the condition of the human heart, right? Better than any of us. So Jesus focused on the heart because he knew the heart was the location of all of our human motivation and action. We have to address the heart, friends. We've got to look at that primarily. Because even though we're going to look at what is the seventh of the Ten Commandments to not commit adultery, it's not just the outward action that Jesus was interested in, but the condition of our heart. And as Pastor Alex made the point last week, when we draw near to Jesus, as we continue in our relationship with Him, He actually changes our heart. He restores us. He renews us, right? And so as He addresses the heart condition within each and every one of us, our outward actions change as a result. Now, Jesus' words are really challenging in our present day because they present boundaries. And we do not like boundaries in our culture. We view them as barriers. We view them as repressive. We see them as somehow inhibiting our freedom. But we all know that boundaries, good boundaries, are helpful. Any of us that have ever had children or been in a house with little kids know that when they bring that baby home and that baby starts crawling around and toddling around, what do they do? They put up the baby gates, right? Good boundaries, right? And then on the outlets, the outlet cover, right? You got that little thing that, so they, well, not in my house. My dad just gave us butter knives and said, you'll figure it out. <laughs> Only took one time. But we put up good boundaries and barriers for our kids. We know this to be true. And so we need to keep that as a frame of reference today. When I was in college many, many years ago, I had a youth ministry professor who shared an image with us that I'll never forget. He said, you are going to be, many of you youth directors, youth pastors. And as you go forth, you need to know that it's going to be one of your primary jobs to point out the good guardrails God has established in life. He said, think of our lives like this. They're a journey, right? And it's a journey full of mountains and valleys, twists and turns. And in some of those turns, at the top of those hills, there are cliffs. And God has given us good guardrails. And as a youth pastor, as a youth director, whatever, you're going to be speaking to students, many of whom are very young, 
And it's going to be your job to point out those barriers, those boundaries, those guardrails. Because if we can teach those to the youth young, right, then they won't go through those boundaries, those barriers. They won't go through the guardrails. He said, now listen, you're going to be talking to them, but you also have to mind the guardrails, right? Because if you go through the guardrail, that's going to cause some damage. And honestly, he said, some of your kids will go through those guardrails. Or perhaps their parents will. Or someone in your church will. He said, all good ministry points out the guardrails and also has an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff where we help folks find the hope and healing of Jesus. He said, it's my hope and prayer that as you go forth in youth ministry, that you, your church, and everyone with whom you interact minds those guardrails. But I'll pray for strength for those, perhaps even you, that may need some help at the bottom of the cliff. Now, that analogy is helpful because today we're looking at lust, adultery, and divorce. These are not fun topics. I did not win the bet. Just kidding. These are not fun topics. I would rather not talk about them. Honestly, it would be easier for me to not talk about them. It'd be easier as a church for us to not talk about them. But Jesus talked about them, therefore, we must talk about them. And the, and the image that I just shared is helpful because for some of us, we're young. We're just starting our relational journeys. If that's you here today, pay attention to these guardrails. They're really helpful. Some of us are a bit further along in life and we might have dinged a few guardrails. Or perhaps we've gone through a guardrail. Perhaps right now we're going through a guardrail and you're like, I'm not even driving. <laughs> right? It's a relationship. There's two folks. Some of us have been at the bottom of the cliff. Some of us are there right now. And some of us have been at the bottom and have a testimony about how Jesus met us there. I don't know where you are. But I just know that as we look at Jesus' words today, they will be comforting and they will be challenging. And it's my hope and prayer that God leads us into his truth today. If you have your Bible or Bible app, I'd invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Or if you have your Mountain Monologues uh, study guide, it will be on page 17. But before we look at our scripture for today, let's pray. Lord God, I ask and pray right now that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would lead, guide, and direct us. Open our hearts our spirits, our minds, to receive your word, all of who we are. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 5, 27 through 32 says this. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You have heard the law that says a man cannot divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, I think it's only logical that before this passage that we're going to look at today, the previous passage that Pastor Alex preached on last week, talks about anger and how we can actually harm and murder other folks in our minds with our thoughts and our actions and our words. 
Not because sometimes we want to marry or murder a loved one, that's what I'm talking about, but because it paints the bigger picture of our relationship and interactions with people at large, right? We interact with people all of the time, and how we treat them and what we say is important. Not only that, but as we're going to look at today, for many of us, the marital relationship is the most intimate relationship we will experience on this earth. And Jesus knew that. And it's because of the intimacy of this relationship that he established several guardrails that we would be very, very wise to mind. So what, does, what did Jesus do? Well, he started, like he has done often in these sections of Scripture, by quoting from the Old Testament. He quotes the seventh commandment that says that people in marital relationships ought to abstain from adultery. Don't commit adultery is the seventh command. Now, I can guarantee you that as soon as Moses came off that mountain with two stone tablets, well, they broke the first ones, the second set. When they came back down, okay, and they got to the seventh commandment, one guy leaned over to another and went, hey, what do you think uh, adultery is? Like, where's the line? Right? I'd pose the same question to us. Where's the line? When does it become adultery? Is it when, like, all the clothes are off? Or is it when we send the text messages? Or is it when the glances begin and the seemingly harmless flirting? Where's the line? Jesus, in this instance, is very helpful because he doesn't even care about the line. Remember, he's worried about the condition of our hearts. So for him, for Jesus, the issue starts way before these actions. It begins with our hearts as soon as the seed of lust appear. Friends, that's a high standard. As soon as that seed of lust appears, Jesus wants us to kill it. That's a high standard. In fact, that's our take-home point for today. The one point I'm going to seek to make that we'll live out this week, and it's this. God sets a high, standards, a high standard for faithful, honoring relationships. He sets a very high standard. Why? Because he knows the condition of our hearts. And he wants us to look first there before the outward actions even begin. Now, in our passage for today, Jesus framed it from the male perspective, but we know that both men and women can lust. And we also know that if we were to take Jesus literally, we all should look a little bit different, right? If we take Jesus literally, several of us should not have some eyes, many of us should not have some hands, right? Just eye patches and hooks. Apologies for any working pirates in the room today. You know, so I don't, as I'm looking around the crowd, I don't see many eye patches, nor do I see many hooks. So I can only assume one of two things. One, we're all perfect, in which case we can leave. Or we haven't taken this passage literally. Probably a good idea. So why did Jesus say what he said? Why did he talk about gouging out an eye or cutting off a hand? Well, let's start with the eye. Jesus mentions the eye because the eye is the means by which temptation begins to enter our bodies, right? Let's be honest. How does lust begin? We see someone that we think is attractive. Now, if all we do when we see someone that we think is attractive is say, oh, that person's attractive, and we move on, we're fine. We're fine. But it's when we stay there, right? It's when the eye lingers and those things begin to happen in our hearts and in our minds. That's where we start, into get, start to get into trouble. And Jesus is saying, cut it out. 
Don't even let it get to that point. Jesus speaks in, a, in extremes, right? He's speaking metaphorically. He's also speaking hyperbolically. Why? Because he knows the danger associated if we don't mind what? The guardrail. There's a guardrail here. We should pay attention to it. But then he talks about the hand. Well, what is the hand? The hand is the means by which we begin to enact whatever is in our hearts and in our minds, right? That seed begins to take root. And then it starts to bear fruit or flower, and then actions result as a result of that. And Jesus is saying, listen, stop there. Think about it like this. It's like Jesus is saying, listen, even if you blow past the first guardrail, if you ignore the eye, that's bad enough. But please, stop at the second, right? Even if you blow past the first, which by Jesus' definition would mean that we are lusting, committing adultery, at least stop at the second. He's got two guardrails here. Boom, boom. Why? Because again, he knows the extreme danger. He knows what can happen and will happen to our hearts, our minds, and our relationships if we ignore these guardrails. So, short of like hiding from people for the rest of our lives, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Well, before we get into some of the how-tos, I think it's really important for us to understand how we ought to view each other. That's our baseline, right? We've got to have a biblical understanding of how we should view one another. Genesis 1 tells us that God created men and women, male and female, in his image. That's what the Bible says. He created them male and female in his image. In all of creation, nothing else was created in the image of God. Think about that. There's a portion of who we are that reflects God himself. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? No other part of creation has that. And as a result, we're special. The Bible says as much. We're special. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor and say, you're special. Go ahead, a little louder. Like if it's your spouse, don't be like, you're special. Don't say that. <laughs> but yeah, we're special. God made us to reflect. Some of you are having way too much fun. <laughs> we are talking about adultery here. Let's settle it down. No, I mean, we're made in God's image. No other part of creation has that. And you're going, well, yeah, but sin, it's, yeah, you're right. Before sin entered the world, we were perfect in God's image. And it's sure, it's broken, it's damaged, but it's still there. God's image is still in each and every one of us. So that means that when God looks at us, he sees part of his image in us still to this day. That means when we look at each other, we ought to see each other as image bearers of God. So when we do other things, when we abuse others, when we objectify them, when we lust over them, we defile that image. We defile the image of God that's in each and every one of us. When we do that, we treat people as property, right? To be lorded over, not as the set-apart image bearers of God. Friends, that's Hard, but that's the that's a truth. That's a biblical truth. A biblical truth is something that we know from scripture. And the truth that we just outlined is that we are all made in the image of God. Now here's the deal: the Bible tells us that when we take those truths into our minds, it can begin to change us. Here at New Life, we talk often about how we're made up of three parts: our spirits, our souls, which is our mind, our emotions, and our will and our bodies, right? So we just learned a truth in our minds, 
But the Bible tells us that as we meditate on that truth, it will actually begin to change and transform our minds and our hearts. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? It's kind of like a virus that gets into our bodies and begins to affect all of who we are and then flows out into our actions. I'll prove it to you. Every mentor I've ever had, I'm not making this up, every mentor I've ever had in my life, I've had about a half dozen older male men who have mentored me in my life. Each and every one of them has taken that biblical truth, people are made in the image of God, and they've applied it to their lives through a short phrase that allows them to combat lust. All of them had a phrase. Some of them said, good job, God, when they saw someone they viewed as attractive. Good job, God. Another one went, I wonder if they know Jesus. Another one would say, a beautiful creature created in the image of God. Why did they say that? Because in that moment when lust came, they pivoted it, right? They reframed it in the truth of God's scripture, and they saw that person for who they truly were, and they killed lust at the root. Why did they do that? One, they applied the biblical truth in their lives. Two, all of them were married, and they were living out another biblical truth, which is God's design for marriage, which we're going to talk about here later. All of these men, all of these men in my life applied the word of God. That's why, friends, the word of God is so vital to us. That's why reading scripture each and every day is so vital to who we are and what we do. It's as we encounter those truths that we internalize them. And just like my mentors, we put them in words and phrases that allow us to combat our own natural desires or the sins of the enemy, the, the temptations of the enemy. I'll be honest with you, all of these men in my life also had something else in common. They all had accountability in their lives. They all had others with whom they met regularly who would speak into their life and ask them hard questions. We talk about accountability a lot here at New Life, and it's simply someone in our lives who we allow to ask us hard questions. I'll be honest, I don't know how you can combat some of this stuff in your life without accountability. I know that I wasn't able to and I'm still not able to. But if we live under the truth of God's word, getting a dose of it daily, if we avail ourselves to good accountability, we are well on our way to living within these really good guardrails that God has established. And for many of us, that's where we are. And if that's you here today, praise God. Apply these truths, mind the edge, watch the guardrails, get the word of God into each of us, right? Live out that accountability. But for some of us, we're asking, well, what happens if we go through the guardrail? What happens if we go through the guardrail or I'm in a relationship and someone went through the guardrail? In Jesus' day, just like today, people went through the guardrail. People got divorced. It was a present reality for them. It's a present reality for us. And in Jesus' day, there were two predominant schools of rabbinic thought. One was called Hillel, and the other was called Shammai. And they had opposing views. Hillel taught that people could get divorced. Actually, a man could divorce his wife. It was always the men who did this. But they taught that a man could divorce his wife for almost any or any reason, down to if she burned dinner. Think about that. Oh, Martha, I see you burned the lamb. It's probably not going to work. Look it up. It's true. And they would be served a certificate of divorce, and that woman would be destitute. Shammai took a different view, I'd argue a more conservative and biblical view, when they said, the only reason that you can be divorced is for marital unfaithfulness or adultery. So when Jesus brought up 
adultery, lust, divorce, the people in the crowd, their ears would have perked up. This was like a hot topic of the day. And what was this teacher going to say? Was he going to offer something beyond what the other teachers said? It was such a big deal, in fact, that we know Jesus addressed it a couple of times. He addresses it again in Matthew chapter 19. In verses 1 through 11, we read this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? See, they're bringing the Hillel argument into this passage. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then say to him, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said, only those whom God helps. Now, before we get to divorce, we need to start by looking at what Jesus outlined as the ideal, okay? So Jesus, in this passage, outlined God's ideal for marriage, and it's this. One man, one woman, coming under, under the covenant of marriage together, right, for life. One man, one woman, coming together under the covenant of marriage for life. I'm going to ask them to leave that slide up here for a second because I just want to pause here and talk about something really quickly. I can guarantee 100% every person in this room, I can guarantee you this, at some point in our lives, each of us, every one of us, did not like one part of that ideal. Every person. I can prove it to you. At some point in your life, you didn't like the whole having to get married part because you were dating and you wanted things to move a little faster. Guaranteed. Or... You're married, and things are getting hard sometimes. And that whole lifetime commitment thing, well, that seems rough, right? We've all gone through ups and downs. Perhaps some of us don't like the one man, the one woman part. I don't know. But I guarantee that every person in this room, at some point in their life, did not like that ideal. We don't like the guardrail. But friends, here's the deal. Either he's God and we're not, or we're God and he's not. And putting ourselves in the place of God has got us into this whole mess to begin with, right? That's God's ideal. Let's just wrap our arms around the fact that at certain points in our life, each and every one of us here did not like it. But it's up to us to understand and to apply it and to decide, do we want to follow it? You guys can take that slide down. That's the ideal. Anything outside of that ideal is contrary to the will of God. It's it's Possible for us when we ignore that to blow through the guardrails. And friends, let's be honest. We can. We can blow through the guardrails. We don't have to pay attention to the ideal. Our culture ignores them all the time. Adultery, promiscuity, pornography, all of them are rampant in today's age. Watch any modern sitcom or any modern TV show and you know that the couple isn't really serious until when? Until they sleep together. 
I was just reminded of that of watching a TV show the other day. Friends, I need you to hear this in love. Remember, we all don't like one part of that ideal or have it at certain parts in our lives. But I need you to hear this other part in love. Even though our culture says it's normal to sleep around, to view pornography, right? Even though it says it's normal to live with someone before you're married, even though it says it's normal to end things quickly when the relationship goes south, those things may all be normal in our culture, but they're certainly not biblical. They're just not. It's outside of the ideal. When things fall outside of the ideal, Jesus said there's danger there. There are guardrails for a reason. We've all dinged the guardrails. There are parts of the guardrails that all of us don't like, but they're there, and we would be wise to mind them. Remember, God puts a high standard on our relationships. But not everyone will. Jesus acknowledged that. He knew that. Relationships have failed since sin entered the world. People in Jesus' day, just like today, wanted to know what happens if this thing isn't working. What happens? And Jesus said quite clearly that he would allow divorce for a very specific reason, adultery. Now, the term that Jesus used in the Greek is a term called pornea. It's a broad term, which can mean adultery, fornication, or any kind of unchastity, right? It's a broad term. Throughout church history, the church has actually broadened permissible reasons for divorce to include two others, abandonment and abuse. So if your spouse commits adultery, if your spouse abandons you, or if your spouse is actively abusing you, Divorce is, is a potential option. I say potential because Jesus doesn't paint the no-fault, easy path to divorce that our culture willingly accepts. He doesn't paint that way. He actually says that if it were easy, or if he would have said it were easy, he would have sided with Hillel, right? And been like, oh, you burned the toast, you can get divorced over that. No, that's not the way that Jesus went. He actually said that folks could get divorced in these instances, not that they should, only that they could. So what can we infer? Well, let's be honest. In our relational journey with another person, a couple of things can happen. Either they blow through the guardrail, or we blow through the guardrail, or we both blow through the guardrail, right? And unless there's repentance there and ability to seek restoration, then it's probably not going to work. But if one or both blow through the guardrail and repentance is present and both are willing to seek restoration, then perhaps in that moment that marriage can be saved. The point, friends, is that Jesus established several guardrails for us to not get to this point, right? And that even if we go through this, it's not supposed to be an easy get-out-of-jail-free card. As Christians, we always seek restoration first when possible, if it's possible. Sometimes it's not. But that's what we get to do. Divorce isn't simply a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's an option that is permissible when all other options have been exhausted. Now, if the stats hold true, at least 40 to 50% of us in this room here today have experienced divorce. And we know that it happened because of one of three reasons. One, either something our spouse did to us, or something that we did, or something that we did together. That's the only options. But I do know that regardless of how it happened, pain was part of that process. And I'm really sorry for that. I hope you can hear that from my heart. I'm really sorry for that. 
I don't know your situation. I don't know your journey. But I do know that whenever a relationship comes to an end, there's pain. There's pain. And that's not something that we ought to take lightly. Thankfully, we know that we have a God who meets us in the midst of our pain. The Bible's clear. Pain will be a result of either our actions or inactions or the actions or inactions of someone else. But God is willing to meet with us where we are. If we're at the bottom of that cliff, if we've taken a pretty crazy ride, the Lord will meet us there. And as a church, we're willing to come alongside you there as well. We have Stephen ministers who are specifically trained to come alongside folks in particularly difficult seasons of their life. If that's you here today, I'd encourage you to reach out to Danielle Height, who, care, who coordinates all of our care and connections. Her email will be up on the screen. Jot it down. Send her an email and say, I just need someone to walk out this journey, this season of life with me. She would be glad to partner you with someone to help you walk this out. The last question that I've actually been asked several times as a pastor is, uh, I've been divorced, I am divorced, can I get remarried? Can I get remarried? Well, Matthew 19.9 makes it pretty clear that if the, the, the divorce is as a result of adultery, Throughout church history, we'd include abandonment or abuse, then yes, yeah, remarriage is possible and permissible. Outside of that, it's a bit more challenging. If you look at Matthew 19, if we adhere to Jesus' standard, the only reason for divorce is adultery, really, in which case we probably ought to have a new spouse anyways, according to the biblical standard, because we're with a new person. So either we were the one who started this whole mess, potentially, or we're the ones who got left behind. There's grace in both situations, friends, but just know that it's messy and it's hard. So what are we to do? Well, in our culture, let's be honest, folks get divorced for a whole list of reasons outside of the two or three that I just mentioned. And I'm already out of time and I can't go into all of them today. And I'm sorry for that, but time just doesn't permit. I will say this, regardless of your situation, if you're divorced, and you're seeking remarriage, please avail yourself to wise counsel. Talk to a pastor. Talk to a counselor. Walk through some of these things, especially if you were the offending party. Because you may be dealing with an additional layer of grief and guilt that really does need to be worked through. God is quick to extend forgiveness and grace, friends, when we repent. And repentance is going to be a big part of this process. And repentance means that we lay out what we did before the Lord, and we ultimately seek His forgiveness in that, and also sometimes that we ask others for that forgiveness. For those of us who were left behind, we may need to extend forgiveness, which is a supernatural thing as well, right? And there's going to need to be some, some help and some healing along the way. Friends, God calls us to a high standard in our relationships. And many of us might be thinking, just like the disciples, maybe it's better not to get married. Is this even possible, is what they were saying. And Jesus made it clear, no, it's not possible. Through our own human efforts, not possible, not even a little bit. It's only possible how? Jesus made it clear in Matthew 19, 11, only with God's help can we do these things. Only with God's help. Let's be honest. God is the only one who can change our hearts. 
I can't change my heart, you can't change your heart. Only God can change our hearts. Only he can come in and change us into who he created us to be. He's the one who established the guardrails. He's the one that put them into place. He's the one who empowers us to live it out each and every day. And as we do so, we'll be living out what is our next step for today. I will be faithful in my relationships this week. I'll be faithful in my relationships this week. And some of you are saying, well, what does that mean? Faithfulness may look different for many of us. For some of us, faithfulness is continuing to do what we're doing, to support our spouse and others, to view others as God views them in the image of God. Some of you may be there. For others of us, it may be having just a a really frank and challenging conversation with our spouses. There may be some confession that needs to happen. There may be some restoration that needs to happen. For some of us, we really need to get into the word of the Lord. Some of us need to get accountability partners. Some of us need to stop looking at porn. That needs to happen. If you're doing that, it's got to stop. It's not helpful. Some of us might need to have a really challenging conversation with our significant other about our living arrangements. I don't know where you are, but I do know this, that as we walk out faithfully the life that God has intended, it's what's best. Some of us might need some additional help in this. Counseling might need to be a part of it. If that's where you are, praise God. Again, please reach out to Danielle. We want to get you partnered with folks who can walk this out with you. Why? Because it's our hope, it's our goal, that as the Lord walks alongside of us, as we are empowered by Him, that we will live out the high calling in relationships that He desires. For many of you in this room, you have not yet even experienced your first relationship. My hope and prayer is that you heed these words. You'd watch the edge. Anybody who's on the other side of the guardrail would tell you to watch the edge. For those of us who have walked a little further in life and experienced the journey, praise God for where we are and where he's brought us to. And praise him for what he will do in and through us in the days and weeks to come. Amen? Amen. If you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, you might be thinking, I don't know that I want to get to know Jesus. Seems like this life that he has is pretty hard. It is hard. In new life, we say it's simple, but it's not easy. Many times in my life, I'll be honest with you, many times in my life I have thought how much easier my life would be if I weren't a Christian. I've thought about that quite a bit in my life, how much easier my life would be if I weren't a Christian. And then I think about how much harder my life would be if I weren't a Christian and how thankful I am because of the guardrails that the Lord has established. Friends, when we come into relationship with Jesus, He is our Savior. He's also our Lord, which means He gets to tell us what to do. But as we mind the guardrails, empowered by the Holy Spirit in our lives, what does He do? He changes and transforms us into His image. He creates in us, He makes us into all that we were intended to be. And that is certainly worth it in my book. If that's you here today, taking that next step is as simple as A, B, C. Admit, believe, confess. We admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God as He claimed to be, and as such has the right to be our Savior and Lord. And then we confess. We confess our need for Him. We confess our sins to Him. And we commit to following Him for the rest of our days, empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray here in a moment. And I'm going to invite any who don't yet know Jesus to offer up a simple prayer along those lines. I'm also going to pray for us in this room 
the Lord would continue to will and work in our lives until we see him face to face. Let's pray. Father God, I pray right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak and minister to our hearts. Lord, you speak to us individually in ways that that we understand best. And so I pray right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would minister to each and every person in this room, that you would speak a word to them that they need in this moment and in this time, whether it be comfort, Father God, whether it be challenge, I don't know, but you do. Lord, minister to our hearts by your Holy Spirit as only you can, as we see the truth of your word, as we seek to apply it in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would do that in and through us. Even now, Lord, we pray. Lord, I would ask for any in this room who don't yet know you. I pray also that you would speak to their hearts, that you would minister to their spirits. Lord, seeking as you always do to come into relationship with us. And Lord, for any who don't yet know you, that we would simply respond by saying, Lord, I need you. I admit that I need you in my life. I believe that you are Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior and Lord of my life. I confess my need for you. I confess all of my sins to you. And I commit to living in and through you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, every day of my life. Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are and for what you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.